If you have your Bibles with you, please open up to 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5. And I uh, wrote down the uh, title this, this morning, if I can find it, as Examination for Elders. So this does not mean, this does not mean, notice I didn't say examination of elders, although that can be beneficial to do, but now is not time to take a list of things your elders are doing wrong. This, as we'll see in 1 Peter 5, not that. Not that there's ever any of those, but you'll see in 1 Peter 5, I have it as examination for elders, because this message is going to be about what God's word says to elders, particularly what motivates them to do ministry and what keeps them doing ministry. Shepherding is a high call and a hard work. And I don't say that to, to, to say, oh, we, we deserve some pity but it is a high call. A shepherd studies his sheep to know them. A shepherd evaluates his sheep to nurture them. A shepherd is responsible to feed his sheep so that they're nourished. A shepherd guards his sheep to protect them. A shepherd pursues his sheep to retrieve them. A shepherd sacrifices himself for the safety, health, and joy of his sheep. Now, last week we saw in 1 Peter 5, verse 1, the encouragement that Peter brought to the pastors of the churches of Asia Minor. We saw that he brought encouragement that, that he's doing the same ministry in the same way that they are. He brought them encouragement that, yes, there is suffering in ministry, but that was God's plan for Jesus Christ as well. He also encouraged them that they are going to be a partaker of the glory to, to, uh, the glory to be revealed. That in God's plan, we've seen this again and again in 1 Peter, that glory follows suffering. This week, we're going to see how Peter challenges the elders. He challenges potential wrong motives for doing ministry. And he provides right motives for doing ministry so that they persist in this work of ministry. So I'm going to read 1 Peter 5, 1, 1 through 5, and then I'll, I'll give a little bit more context. Therefore, I exert the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you uh, for your word and that in your plan, uh, as, as, as we seek to understand what your word says and we seek to apply it, uh, there is at times specific instruction for, for specific uh, portions of the body. And so you have chosen uh, to be instructing elders here. And we pray, Father, that you would indeed uh, minister and encourage and sharpen the, the elders of Cornerstone Bible Church, that you would use this message in the hearts of men who aspire to be elders and to join us in this ministry. But, Lord, that also you would see that, these, uh, that the, um, the body would see that these motives here are, are easily transferable, that these are sometimes dangers we can fall into, uh, but that the good motives are, we're all able uh, to use in, in uh, the ministry that you've called us to. So, Lord, I pray, Father, that uh, the church would be better know how to uh, pray and, and support the elders through your word. I pray, Father, that the elders uh, would have a refreshed commitment to the job that you've given. I pray, Father, that we would all uh, seek to seriously um, and joyfully be stewards of the gifts that you've given us. Please give us ears that are, are ready to hear, Lord, ready to apply what your word calls us to. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at 1 Peter 5, the first five verses, Peter explains how the, how, how, how the individual sheep of the church ought to relate to, to one another. We, and we will cover these individual commands more next time. We, saw, we see the command in verse 2 I just read, that elders are to shepherd the flock, exercising oversight. The command in verse 5 is for the flock to be subject to your elders. 
And the command in verse 5 at the end is to everyone, to clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And these commands provide the, the, the thrust of this passage. And normally I would be going through, uh, through, the, through the commands first. In hindsight, I would have done that. But Lord willing, I'm going to say the same thing I did last week. We'll focus on those, on those three commands, kind of the, the outline of, of the structure next time. We, 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 are, we are taking the verses as they come, though, and uh, we're going to focus on verses 2 to 4 this morning. We're going to see four aspects of an elder's motivation in shepherding the flock. So the elders will examine their motives so that they'll embrace God's motivation as he does motivate them. And so that the elders will please God in their shepherding. We're going to see four aspects of an elder's motivation in shepherding the flock so that the elders will examine their motives Embrace God's motivation and please God in the shepherding. That's something that you all, as you're even maybe taking notes, can pray for. Pray for that, pray that that happens. And really, I think that you'll easily see that this can be applied to some extent to, to our care group leaders, to small group leaders, to those serving in roots, to those serving in boulders, that, that as we do God's ministry, we're, we're going to see that our motivation is involved, really, for all of us as we disciple one another. And, and I trust by God's grace that you'll be encouraged in your discipling and including in your parenting. Parenting, and we're going to see that, 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 that even our motives, uh, the, the kind of motivation he speaks about here applies to our parenting. Are, are we parenting with an eye to other people or with an eye to God? So we're going to look at these motives to, to, to understand uh, how God wants his sheep to be cared for. Now, as we go through verses 2 and 3, we're going to examine three parallel phrases. There's, 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 three para, there, there's three parallel phrases you may have noticed. The first is at the end of, or, or kind of the middle of verse 2. Exercising oversight, and it goes not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, or according to God. So, so that's the first phrase. The second phrase is at the end of verse 2, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. And the third phrase is in verse 3, not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be an example to the flock. So, so, there's, so there's three contrasts there. And those three contrasts are kind of interesting in themselves, and each of them are, 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 a little, are a little puzzle, so some of them are more obvious than others, in that, well, why is A contrasted with B? And I think as we look at, at how each part of those three are contrasted, we'll see that, that, that Peter's really pointing to a heart motive there. So as we go through this, I'm going to describe the contrast first, and then I'll, 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 I'll summarize what we should be, be motivated by. So let's look at the first contrast in the middle of verse 2. It says, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. So this is not being forced, but willing. Elders should not be conscripted. I don't get to just point to someone and say, you are an elder now. Unless it, it is the Lord himself who is doing the, the conscripting of elders. And we do see that, and we're, we're, we're going to flesh this out a little bit, that God decides who the elders are. Acts 20, verse 28. Paul's talking to the, the, the elders, and he says that, he speaks of this flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And God has done that by equipping men in the church whose gifts are obvious, who have the appropriate character, and after being tested are affirmed as elders. So we should not, elders should not serve under compulsion, but voluntarily. They shouldn't be guilted into serving. They shouldn't be coerced into serving. Elders should serve voluntarily. They should serve willingly. Eldering is not about peer pressure. It's not about arm twisting. It's not about being manipulated into serving. And it's not about man pleasing. But there is an interesting phrase here, as, as Peter describes his contrast, that an elder should serve willingly, but he doesn't just stop it there. He says, willingly, according to God. And there's a range, range of possible meetings there. Really, according to God is, is kind of broad. You can spend some time thinking about what does that mean, according to God? I think it's most likely that Peter is reminding the elders that whether a man serves as an elder is not simply a matter of one's preference. 
It's not simply a matter of enjoyment. It's not like, well, that looks great. I'm going to do it. But that God has something to say about who serves as an elder. And that's true because God gives qualifications. But it is more than that. That God, it is according to God, is God who gifts. God has a say whether a man serves as an elder or not. We saw that in Acts 20, verse 28. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28, it says that God has appointed teachers. And God does this through the gifting to which he gives men. Regardless of whether or not a man serves, he must have a clean conscience before God that he is being a faithful shepherd of God's gifts. I mean, to be a faithful steward of God's gifts. And that's true of every one of you. If you are in Jesus Christ, God has gifted you through his spirit, and you need to have a clear conscience before God, all of you, that you are being a good steward of God's gifts. Paul commands Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 verse 14. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you. That's true for every one of us. We must not neglect the spiritual gift within us. That is how God accomplishes his work of exalting his son in the local church. So an elder is a steward. A steward is someone who manages what belongs to someone else. Like all stewards, and we saw this in 1 Peter 4.10, he is a steward of the manifold grace of God, 1 Peter 4.10. As each one has received a, a special, uh, received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And that is the call for all of us. Am I being a good steward of, 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 of the spiritual gift of the aptitudes that God has given me? But an elder is also a steward of God's house. And that appointment comes from God. It's how the Apostle Paul saw himself, we see in Colossians 1.25. He says, Of this church I was made a minister, according to the stewardship from God bestowed on, on me for your benefit. And that's, that is how elders should see themselves. And really you, in your management of the gifts that God has given you, it's a stewardship from God bestowed on me. As an overseer is God's steward, that language is in Titus 1.7. The overseer, the elder, it's... It's the uh, same role in scripture. The overseer must be above reproach as God's steward. So in a sense, neither an elder nor a man who aspires to be an elder, I'm going to say this cautiously, are simply free to volunteer. Gifts are given, not chosen. We are, are, are not kings in our own realm with this infinite freedom to follow our fancies. It's not just like, you know, I think I like that ministry, or I love babies, I'm going to go and, and, and serve there. Now, that's fine, and that's willing. It's good. But there is a sense of stewardship here. How has God made me? What has the Spirit brought to me at my conversion? What am I to do with that? We are slaves of Jesus Christ. If you are in Jesus Christ, if he has rescued you from your sins, you have been bought with a price. You belong to him. Following Jesus is a matter of picking up our cross and following him. There is sacrifice in using our gifts, and that's for, for really for all the gifts. So each, each mature man here, who's gifted in teaching and skilled in doctrine, ought to ask, is it possible that God has gifted me to be a shepherd? We know that God has chosen some men. And you elders, are you one who serves willingly according to God's plan and according to his pleasure or someone who serves according to man's pressure? And really, we don't want to pressure any man into becoming a elder. We want it to be a matter of them wanting God's pleasure in stewarding the gifts that God has given. 1 Timothy 3 verse 1 says, it's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. It's good to want to shepherd God's flock. It's good to want to do this work. God will use those who are willing to care for his sheep. So it is a matter of character. It's a matter of gifts. It's a matter 
of your gifts being affirmed. You just can't think that I have this gift. You also have to be affirmed by others. But it's also a matter of your willingness. So this brings us to our first, first motivation now that I think we understand what Peter's saying. Be motivated by pleasing God. Be motivated by pleasing God. That's our first motivation. Be motivated by pleasing God. Not, not under compulsion. Not because of man-pleasing. Not because someone is forcing you. Not because you feel guilty if you don't. Not because someone is looking down on you. Not under compulsion. But voluntarily, according to God. Voluntarily, willingly, but with an eye to God. With an eye to stewardship. With an eye to saying, how has God made me and put me and put, put me together. See, no one has the opportunity to just stay on the sidelines. No one has the opportunity. You all have to say, how has God made me, and what am I going to do with that? So it's just a matter of where God is going to, 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 to implement you in his kingdom. But if I say, God needs volunteers, and for you to use your gifts, every hand should raise. Right? None of us gets a pass and saying, well, I'm not willing at all. It's just a question of where are you willing? Where are you willing? And also, and I think there's a caution here, because there's a need does not equate to compulsion. Okay? Because there's a need does not equate to compulsion. Because a, 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 a elder comes to one of you and says, I really want you to pray because I've seen your giftedness, I've watched your character, I think that you would be a great part of, and we need you. That doesn't mean you're compelled to do that. You can still do that willingly according to God. In fact, you might say, well, maybe God is bringing something to my attention through this man bring, bringing this up to me. So because there's a need, because, because I think that we can run the risk of when there's a need present, saying, oh, well, well am I doing this out of guilt now? A, ge- a, a need doesn't require two compulsion. The voluntarily, according to God, comes from you seeing, yes, there's, there's a need, and I believe that God has gifted me so that I can fill that need. Like, I could bring up a need to cultivate more of a hospitality ministry here so that when a newcomer comes, we can get that contact info and have a great way of reaching out to them and and, and telling them about some of the ministries of our church and seeing if if they have any needs. That's a need. I don't want any of you to feel guilty about that, but I do want you to help with that. I do want you to help with that voluntarily, according to God. Because you know that you could, do, you could do that. So we have to be careful when we're talking about willingness because so much of our flesh is like, I'm, 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 I'm willing to, to stay in my shell. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to stay at home. I'm, 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 I'm willing to watch TV. I mean, if, if it's just willingness, no, it's willingness according to God. You might not do anything different than you're currently doing after hearing this. But we do have to have, it's about the direction of our, our eye. Are you afraid of disappointing men? Are you afraid of poorly stewarding God's gifts? Are you afraid of disappointing men? Is, is, is that why you don't say no? Or is that why you say yes? Or are you more afraid about poorly stewarding God's gifts? Does the prospect of bringing God pleasure in fulfilling a need Does the prospect of of stewarding your gift, does that bring you joy? All of you should. Some of you might be limited by circumstances, getting ready to have a baby. Well, how can you use the gifts that God has given you still? So be motivated by pleasing God. Now now, now let's go on and look at the second contrast here. The second contrast is at the end of verse 2. Not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. We don't use that word sordid often. I think that, that the ESV has shameful gain. Not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. We see at the end of verse 2. I may have said verse 3 there. Sorry about that. Not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. So what does not for sordid gain mean? 
It is specifically agreed that is fed by fraud, okay? It is, it is, it is agreed that is satisfied by stealing, by swindling. It's like Judas with his eyes on the money bag. It's a desire for more that is satisfied through thievery, through, through greed, through dishonesty. But it does go further than that. See, not for sordid gain indicates a broken desire for, for money that sprouts from, from wrong motives, and it really could be so many, fear, pleasure, wanting, wanting security, not trusting God, all kinds of wrong motives. But it only sometimes leads to wrong methods. So a desire from wrong motives, but it doesn't always have to lead to you stealing. See, you can be greedy for sordid gain, but not yet a thief. So just because someone doesn't steal doesn't mean that they can't be in it for the money. Their motivation for ministry can still be monetary. Scripture clearly indicates that it is essential that an elder not be motivated by money. Titus 1 verse 7 describes not fond of sordid gain. 1 Timothy 3.3, 3, that an elder is to be free from the love of money, the aspiring man. 1 Timothy 3.8 describes that deacons need to be fo- not fond of sordid gain. You can see how essential that is for the people who are managing the church's funds. The apostles knew that any elder would need to examine their motivation. But especially elders who are provided, their, 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 their living is provided by the church. Now, Scripture is very clear. It is appropriate to pay elders. 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 to 18. The elders who rule well, not necessarily all elders, but there's a class of elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. It's possible that that really he's describing there what the ruling well is. It's not like, well, you're paid so that you rule well. Francis is not paid so he doesn't rule well. Uh, But it describes a, a subclass of those especially those who, who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, 1 Timothy 5.18, you shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing, and the labor is worthy of his ages. The same principle Jesus had in Matthew 10.10, 10, the worker is worthy of his support. Or 1 Corinthians 9.14, Paul says, the, the, the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. It's no more, more wrong for an elder to receive a paycheck than it is for you. But at the same time, and this is where it, it gets odd, particularly for, for men who are considering the ministry. The ministry. But at the same time, pastoring is not a profession. We should never go to a job fair and see a table that's pastor. Oh, well, maybe I'll consider being a pastor. Let me check out the salaries and what kind of education is needed. It does put, I think, paid pastors in an interesting place. They are dependent on the church for their paycheck. They have invested their life in the church, and they have to guard and say, why am I doing this? And they have to ask for that motivation again and again. And again, it is not wrong to bring home a paycheck. In the ancient world, the, 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 the role of elder could have maybe even been, been especially uh, 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 appealing. It could have been appealing to those who saw it as less grueling physical work. Well, I'm going to spend my time preparing messages and preaching the gospel, ministering to people. Well, that, well that's different from, from the ditch digging I would have to do. Or maybe of shorter work days, or perhaps even a better standard of, 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 of living. Remember, the ancient world is drastically different. And it's true that the church's willingness to provide for shepherds can lead to abuse. That's why we have false prophets. I mean, that's why false prophets do what they do. Or at least one of the reasons. First Timothy 6.5 describes them as men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. They're in it for the money. Titus 1.11, they're upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. 2 Peter 2.3, the greed that, 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 uh, in, in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. 
Instead of doing this for sordid gain, think, thinking of what can I get out of this. It's not, it's not being, being concerned that you're able to provide for your family. But, 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 but this, this, this selfishness of, of I want more. I want ease. I, I want status. And we can see that really, and we'll, we'll look at this, the motives could really be many sordid motives. It's not just money. Instead, Peter contrasts the end of verse 2, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, enthusiastically. They should shepherd with zeal. They should shepherd with energy. It's not with an eye to one's pocket, but to the tremendous privilege Not motivated by one's belly or by the bank account, but by the potential for seeing Christ glorified. And these are the the two words, I think, that boil this, that that bring this idea together. Instead of doing for sort of gain, and this is your second motivation, be motivated by the privilege and the potential. Be motivated by the privilege and the potential. And that's true for all of us as we steward the gifts that God has given us. The privilege and the potential. Now, I know he just says enthusiastically. Right? Well, where's privilege and, and potential in enthusiastic? Well, they're a good contrast to sordid gain. Instead of being motivated by money, be motivated by the privilege that you get to shepherd the sheep that have been purchased with the precious blood of Christ. Instead of being motivated by money, you're motivated by the potential. You get to see people transformed from one degree of glory to another as you minister the word into their lives. That brings up what he makes the contest with, with eagerness, with enthusiasm, with zeal. Right? We, 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 we don't get up in the morning and do this with zeal because of the paycheck. We do it with zeal because Christ is going to be glorified, because people are going to be transformed, because you're going to be equipped to do the works of ministry, because our families are going to grow and change, and by God's grace, the kids in our families are going to get saved, and there's going to be people in our neighborhoods getting saved. This is why we serve enthusiastically. A paid elder must ask themselves, if I didn't receive, if the church had no money, If I didn't receive a single cent from the church ever, or never another one, would I still serve eagerly? Would I still serve enthusiastically? Now, you know that you have some of those men because they are already doing that for no money. But that's what you need to hold me and Sam accountable to. If things change here and I receive no money, am I suddenly not an elder? No, by God's grace, I'm going to have to find money to take care of my family. But my heart will be like, I'm going to continue serving enthusiastically. I encourage young men who, who, who aspire to elder. And it is an interesting thing in a professional world. As we, 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 we put a value upon seminary, seminary takes time and a tremendous sacrifice. And you can uh, choose, choose some degrees that, that kind of lead better into seminary. They're making huge choices when they're 18 or 20. And they haven't been affirmed as elders yet. Their gifts haven't even been tested yet. I like to encourage those young men pursuing seminary. Do you seek to be an elder? Not not do you seek to be a pastor. And some churches use that distinction. We do here. It's not really biblical. uh, The difference between elder and pastor. Pastors paid, elders aren't. It's kind of like how we just get to say, Pastor Isaiah, but Elder Francis. Well, biblically, elders are pastors. And they are overseers. In this mindset, lots of young men have this desire to be a pastor. And and tied to it is a living. I encourage young men, do you seek to be an elder? It's a very different question. It doesn't matter what job you have. Are you going to elder the church? Are you going to do the work of a pastor, regardless if you ever get paid? So as we seek to be motivated by the privilege and the potential, I hope, by God's grace, you see the easy application into all of your lives. It's not about exerting ourselves for a salary. I mean, we, we don't serve enthusiastic because we're going to get a raise. It's, for, it's to see 
Oh, and at the same time, too, we could have other false motives. So one of you might even think, you know, I'm kind of thinking about an elder because I really don't like what's going on there. I'm going to have some, some influence. I'm going to make a change. If I had more power in the church, then maybe I could get it my way. It's not maybe sort of gain. It's not a salary, but it's still a wrong motive. Or maybe it's the potential of approval or applause. Wanting to be known as an elder. Instead, we must be motivated by the potential of seeing God's kingdom advance, of seeing his people transformed, the privilege of seeing people used by him. This is why we should elder. This, this, this is where the enthusiasm comes from. Enthusiasm doesn't come from getting a salary. That just leads you to wanting more. The enthusiasm comes from the privilege and the potential. The glory of Christ is worth your zeal, all of you. It is worth your enthusiasm. It is worth your energy. It is worth your effort. A bank account is not. So the first motive is to please God. The second is just the potential and the privilege of this gospel ministry. And then let's look at the third contrast in verse 3, and we'll get to, to that third principle in a minute. The third contrast. 1 Peter 5.3 says, Nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Lording it over means to become master over, to reign, to subdue someone under you. It could include potentially harsh or excessive use of, 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 of power. In the Subduent, the Greek version of the Old Testament, it, it would really be, be like a ruler making someone submit to them, to bow to them. Matthew 20, verse 25 to 28, Peter heard the Lord Jesus talk about this. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, that same word, and their great men exercise authority over them. It's not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. A commentator, Wayne Grudem, says here, Peter forbids the use of arbitrary, arrogant, selfish, or excessively restrictive rule. He implies that elders should govern not by the use of threats, emotional intimidation, or flaunting of power. That's the end of the quote. It says that we should not lord it over those allotted to your charge. And that there's, there, the, the, those allotted to your charge, and the Greek is one, is one Greek word. It's, it's the portion. See, the sheep belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ has placed all of us as sheep in this specific portion, in this specific flock. It's Christ who's put them, the sheep, in the elders' care. And it's not about our control, it is our care. See, our portion here, this portion, is not a little kingdom where the elders get their way. It's not about elders manipulating to get their will accomplished. Instead, and the contrast here is, 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 is stunning, really. Not as yet lording it over those allotted to your charge, manhandling and emotionally manipulating and all those dirty power tactics, but proving to be examples to the flock. But proving to be examples to the flock. And Peter doesn't limit here what kind of example they, 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 they are to be. As mature saints, elders are to be an example in, in, in all of life, I'll, I'll read to you a couple of the example passages. Here's the qualifications of an elder from 1 Timothy 3. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, a, a one-woman man, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or, or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care? How, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. He must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So that's from 1 Timothy 3. That is what we to be an example of. Titus 1 has a list as well. 
That is one verse seven. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what's good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who, who contradict. The elder qualifications there, except for the, for the ability to teach and refute sound doctrine, is simply about being an example. It's really what every single one of us is called to. And we see examples, many examples in Scripture, how essential being ex- example is to this process of discipling. As we seek to become like Christ and then to have others become like us, who in train will have others become like them, who in, in turn make others, help others become like them. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul sets up that model. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Philippians 3.17, brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Titus, in all of these things, 2 verse 7 to 8, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is, which is beyond, repro- beyond reproach. You can see there how essential it is for elders to be an example. That being an example is what all of us should strive for, to be an example so that you can take a younger brother or sister in Christ, and really that I can benefit from your example, no matter if a younger brother or sister in Christ or not, and say, that is how I want to lead my family. And that is an example of prayer. And look at their trust in the Lord. And look at their purity. They won't even watch that television program. All of those we are to be an example in. Now, it is fascinating, though, why Paul contrasts lording and example, right? Because right? what would you expect the contrast of lording over someone to be? Exactly what Jesus says, serving, right? Not be a master, but be a servant. So we have to ask ourselves, well, why did Peter do this? Why does he go with being an example rather than, than lording? And perhaps the contrast in Peter's mind, and, and we know he's thinking something. He doesn't tell us exactly why, so we have, to, we have to speculate a little bit. Is between stealing power from Christ Stealing power from Christ and demonstrating the power of Christ. Because when you master and dominate the flock, that is not your job. That's not the elder's job. That is Christ's job to be the master of the flock. But being an example shows the power of Christ. Shows his ability to transform every area of our life. And that is what an elder to be is. Really a, a man who has no, no areas of his life that's not being transformed by Christ. The contrast is between accomplishing the change we want our way. And accomplishing the change God requires his way. And that's not via force, but example. It is through discipleship. So that brings us to our third motivation. Be motivated by Christ's power. Our third motivation is be motivated by Christ's power. See, Peter understands the heart of discipleship. He learned it from the Lord himself. Leadership is not about our lordship, but it's in becoming like our Lord. The power of Christ is not displayed in our ability to make others submit to our lust, to our desires, to our amazing wisdom but to conform our will to be in, this, in submitted to Christ. To the submission of our lusts to what Christ wants. Disciples train disciples to do everything Jesus has commanded them to do, not to do everything that the elders wish. Now we're going to see that we are called to, to submit to elders. He's talking about the misuse of authority here, the abuse of power. Right? We are to follow the commands of Christ and not my commands. God's people need to see Christ's power displayed in making us examples and not autocrats. Is your ministry, and whether it be in your life, I mean, all of your life, 
in your home, here at church? Is that about bringing others to do your will or you're leading them in doing Christ's will? It doesn't mean we don't have to manage. Moms and dads still have to manage their kids, but there's, this is a motive question. Is this about getting someone to do your will or you leading them in doing Christ's will? That's what God calls the elders to do. And it's a call for all of us in any discipling relationship. It's not so that we can check off the boxes and say, oh, that man's getting sanctified. He stopped doing that. Read his Bible seven times a week. That could so quickly become about our will and our success. And those are great things. It's just, where are we putting our hope? Is in God's methods and his means, which he says. It's why he makes the contrast here. We accomplish the goal of the church, not by power, but by example. 1 Peter 5, 4, the, mo- the motivation here is going to be, is going to be obvious. So it leads, and so I'm just going to give it to you up front. Be motivated by the reward promised. Be motivated by the reward promised. So there's four motives. Be motivated by pleasing God. Be motivated by the potential and the privilege. Be motivated by Christ's power to change and transform us so that others are transformed. Be motivated by the reward promised. Let me read 1 Peter 5, 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus Christ at his return, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter encourages the elders with a commendation that they would receive when Christ returns. And I don't want to spend too much time on this before uh, I say, saints, I think this applies to all of us. And And I'll explain why in a minute. It's really the commendation that all of us receive when Christ returns. Christ is the chief shepherd. Peter had heard himself had heard Jesus himself say in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. John 21, verses 15 to 17, as Peter is restored to, to Jesus, Jesus three times says, tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep, tend my sheep. Peter reminds them who the chief shepherd is, and it is not the elders. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Elders are to take care of Christ's sheep. They care for Jesus' sheep by following Jesus' instructions until Jesus returns because they want to hear Jesus, their master, say, their chief shepherd say, well done, good and faithful servant. Peter says, you will receive, and that word receive means to get what's owed, to get what's promised, to get what's deserved, to get the reward. Now, a reward for obedience is not inconsistent with salvation through faith alone. It's important we we don't let that slide. A, A reward for obedience is not inconsistent with salvation through faith alone. A reward, this crown of glory he speaks of, is not how we are saved, but evidence that we have been saved. It's not how we are saved. It's evidence that we have been saved. And he's speaking in this context here of not doing something that, 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 that you drum up yourself. This is the gifts that he gives to you. We are saved through faith alone, in Christ alone, by trusting in his sacrifice on our behalf. The reward is what we are pleased to give when we demonstrate the evidence in our life of obedience. All those who are saved become obedient. All those who are saved receive a crown, and we'll see that. A crown, as he speaks of here, is a leafy wreath given to victors. And you've seen statues there or pictures of classical times of that crown made of leaves. It was given to ancient victors, and whether they were athletic champions or military conquerors, But all those leaf crowns faded. They rotted, they perished, they blew away in the wind. But Christ will give in a fading crown, one which still gleams after millions of years in his presence, after billions of years in his presence. Trillions. It will lose none of its, it will not be tarnished. It will lose none of its brightness. It is an eternal, and it says, the crown of glory. And I asked Margot, what do you think a crown of glory is made of? She said, glory. And that's right. The crown is glory. The crown is the metaphor. Glory is the reality. 
1 Peter 1.7, this is not something new Peter's just kind of throwing in at the end. 1 Peter 1.7, he talks about them uh, persevering in their faith so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor the revelation of Jesus Christ. He motivates them in the beginning with the praise and glory and honor that comes at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. It is a mystery here. We know it. Why would God give us any glory when it's all of him? Why would he put the spotlight on us at all? We know what our father's saying. Look what I've accomplished in them through my son. Right? It's really about the glory of his son. And then his son glorifies him. On a podium at the Olympics, you have one person get the gold. Or maybe if it's a team, you know, a hockey team, 17 people get the gold or something. How sweet when Christ returns. And there's billions of saints that get this crown of glory. Now, I still have to prove that this crown of glory is, 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 is not for elders only. I think it is best not to think of it as a separate crown. But it's for all who fulfill the role that God gives them. It's faithful servants who steward the manifold grace of God. That is, and you'll see here in this reasoning, that that's all of you. If you're saved, you're going to steward the gifts that God has given you. God is not going to let you persist in disobedience. You're going to obey. Paul in 2 Timothy 4 verses 7 through 8 so here's some of the other crowns in, in, in Scripture. I'll move through these quickly. 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. Paul says, I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I've kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He describes the crown of righteousness there. That crown is righteousness. All who love the appearing of Jesus Christ will receive righteousness. James in James verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Again, that, that's just a simple description of a saint. A saint is someone who loves the Lord, who perseveres, and they receive the crown of life. The crown, which is eternal life. Again, this is not how we become new creatures in Christ, but this is the reward of entering into his presence, life forever with him, forever loving him and knowing him and pleasing him. John, in Revelation 2, verse 10, it's pretty neat that Paul, James, John, and Peter all talk about these crowns. In the, in, in a, the letter to Smyrna, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. It's not just James' audience who gets his crown of life. It's also the saints in Smyrna, the crown of life. Those who persevere in trials and faithful in persecution receive life. Those who fight the good fight and keep the faith receive righteousness. Those who shepherd his sheep and steward his gifts will receive glory from Christ. Peter gives this promise to motivate the elders. But he has already promised glory to all the saints. We saw that in 1 Peter 1.7. Paul says the same thing in Romans 2, verses 9 and 10. There's glory, honor, and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. God rewards obedience. That obedience is only through Jesus Christ, and it's only for the glory of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we as elders elder, and you and we all together disciple, and we use our gifts because this crown of glory is meaningful to us. We're not just supposed to shyly say, oh, you know, well, okay, Jesus, if you want. It's meaningful. We want that glory. And why do we want that glory? Because it's going to last for eternity. And it's not going to make us look great. It's going to make Christ look great. So be motivated by that crown of glory, elders. And to all of us who participate in this glory, as he says in 1 Peter 1, look forward to receiving that praise and glory and honor the revelation of Christ. See, we're, we're not some prisoners using our gift, kind of chained up to giant rocks, just kind of smashing them. I guess I'll go serve another day in nursery. I guess, I, I guess I'll make a phone call to someone. This is just all drudgery. Right? There's, there's a crown of glory coming. 
You are stewards of God's gifts awaiting glory as this, as this gift we don't deserve at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So long for your Lord's presence and love your Lord's pleasures demonstrated in this glory. The victor wreath goes to his servants. We do want to be examining our motives. But it doesn't change the fact that there's a job to be done. There's many jobs that need to be done. We're a church full of people who need to be discipled. And you need to be used in my life, and I need to be used in your life. And we, 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 we have shepherds and we have sheep, but there's many other ways that we serve. And so we all need to ask, am I motivated by pleasing God? Do I want to please him? Am I motivated by the potential and privilege? Do I serve enthusiastically? Because this is glorious, right? Because there is nothing better than seeing someone become more like Jesus Christ. That's why he died. Are we motivated by Christ's power to transform our lives, to make us an example that can be followed so that you can say to your kids, you can become like me because I'm following Christ. So you can say to those serving, to the kids in Roots, that you can become like me because I'm following Christ. So you can say to one another in your care group, I want to be your example, brother, and I want you to be my example. Motivated by the reward promised. We're looking forward to that. We are longing for that because it's Christ saying, well done, good and faithful servant. And he's the one who's going to look amazing for eternity, not us. Let's pray. Uh, dear Father, we thank you uh, for your word. And uh, Lord, we want to have wisdom. We know the primary audience is, is elders. But Father, we also uh, want to, as we talk about motives, we can abstract out. And uh, uh, you've all called us to be stewards of the manifold grace of God. We all have gifts that we are responsible to use, and a, what a precious privilege. So I do pray, Father, that the saints would be encouraged. I pray, Father, that they would be, be curious how they can serve. I pray, Father, that if their uh, time is particularly limited in a stage of life, Lord, that they would be faithful in the circle of responsibility that you've given them. I pray, Father, for, for, for men who would aspire to be elders, Lord, that their, their appetite for a crown of glory uh, would be really unquenchable until they come and participate. Lord, we pray that we would, as a church, be faithful and, and, and mature saints who can say to everyone in our lives that we're an example who can be followed, that we have no secret closet doors hidden, Father, we thank you for the power of Christ. We know that he is risen, and because he is risen, we have resurrected life. So we do pray uh, for the elders, Lord. Help them to be watchful of their motives. Help me to be watchful of motives. We think about our brother uh, Sam. We do pray that you bless his, his support-raising trip. Uh, we pray, Father, that you would help uh, us as elders uh, to be uh, really thrilled about what you can accomplish for your glory. Lord, as we switch our time now to uh, your son's table, the Lord's table, uh, we do pray that we would have hearts that are ready to uh, receive uh, grace afresh, Lord, not, not that we get grace by doing this, uh, but that we remember the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.